Welcome to this episode of We Hear You from Harambe Social Services in South Jersey. We Hear You is designed to give a voice to victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. This forum is for survivors and their allies to discuss issues that impact them and their families, as well as to educate communities. In the coming segments, we will hear from survivors. They will tell us their stories and what they would like for us to know. As allies, we want to hear how we can support them. Welcome to this episode of We Hear You. Tonight's guest is Malaysia Brown. Malaysia, we're excited to have you here today. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm great. How are you? Terrific. Terrific. And Malaysia, you are a recent graduate from Stockton College. Is that correct? Yes, I just graduated this past May. And what was your major? I majored in social work and then my minor is in Africana Studies. Fantastic. You are also currently an employee of Harambe Social Services. That's correct? Yes, I'm the program assistant. Fantastic. So we were excited to have you on because we wanted to have a perspective of different people, particularly having a perspective of different generations related to intimate partner violence. We want to focus somewhat on sexual assault tonight because we know that you have had some experience in that area. So we want to just start right off with what your experiences have been as an advocate with sexual assault. In my previous job, I was a domestic violence and sexual assault advocate for a emergency battered women's shelter. So I answered the crisis hotline and I did like the intakes for victim survivors who were in immediate danger and needed safe sheltering. A part of answering the crisis hotlines was also... So for instance, if there was a domestic violence incident between a woman and her current boyfriend and the police were called, the police station would get in contact with the crisis hotline and I would be able to offer services to the victim, whether it is the girlfriend or the boyfriend, because domestic violence can affect everyone. Nobody's immune to it. So some of the services we would offer is like counseling. Prior to COVID, we had support groups. We also had like the emergency shelters. We're able to help relocate them to a different shelter in another county if need be. And the main goal was to just get them out of whatever immediate danger they were in and then help them rebuild their lives back up into a safe and healthy environment. Well, those services are so important and valuable to the victims, especially that they can get that immediate attention. What would you say when we're talking a bit more about DV now, in terms of the DV situation when an officer is coming to determine who is the primary aggressor? Have you seen cases where the woman or the female in the situation, if it's a male-female situation, have you seen that where the female becomes the primary aggressor or is at least accused of being the primary aggressor? 
Yes, there is a misconception that men aren't victims oftentimes. And that's largely because a lot of men are embarrassed to either report or admit that their partner, who is of the opposite gender, is abusing them. And I've witnessed with the man being the victim or the victim survivor, it's not necessarily physical against him. It'll be like, maybe he wanted to leave the relationship and she didn't. So she slashed his tires or broke his window or harasses him to a point where he's not able to live his life safely or manipulation, taking his money or not allowing him to do things he would want to do and that he has the right to do. And oftentimes, like even when we would get calls and there is a male victim, nine times out of 10, they refuse to talk to us or they don't want any services that we offer, even though one of the services that they could use and reap the benefits of is a court advocate. They also do court advocacy where someone helps them through the process of either filling out a police report, helping them in the courts, just being that extra support system. But a lot of male victims that I've talked to are so stuck on the stigma of being a victim that they kind of don't explore their other options of health. Yeah, I could see very easily how that could happen because of all of the stereotypes we have about male roles and gender roles in general that we was certainly male victims could certainly have problematic outcomes when seeking help. And this also comes up, and we should say for our audience that although we will reference male-female relationships, they're definitely same-sex relationships, either males to males or to females that become violent and require your services as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. I know a big thing within the LGBTQA plus community when it comes to domestic violence, a part of that is threatening to out the other partner or if someone hasn't came out as being lesbian, gay, transgender, wherever they fall on that spectrum, there's that fear of them being outed that the abusing partner could use against them or just in general the negative interactions that people have with the LGBTQ community, it almost hinders them from wanting to go to the police or seek justice because of the way they're treated in society. Yeah. The psychological impact of domestic violence is very big. And we've talked about that with some of our other guests. And certainly for this particular community that the psychological harassment around outing people is major because it could mean losing a job, losing the support of a family or any other number of consequences that are grave. So so it's that act of taking that power from them, which is the common denominator of from domestic violence to sexual assault is the power and control. Absolutely. So you're holding that power over them that I hold this secret and I can damage you at any time. And that's really what someone who who is a abuser, that's what they use to harm the victim very often. That sheds some light definitely on the whole issue around gender roles and how gender roles 
impact what happens to victims in these situations. And that I'm going to come back a bit to the sexual assault and how women are impacted because of gender roles around sexual assault, how sometimes these sexual assaults occur in your experience as an advocate, what kinds of stories have you heard about these attacks? Are you asking like sexual assault? In, in for sexual assault, yeah. Specifically for a demographic? Well, sexual assault in general, in that I think many of us kind of grow up or learn as we grow older, beware of strangers, somebody's going to kind of be lurking in the bushes. It's this person that's going to attack you. And we find that, I'm not sure, maybe you have some numbers around how many of these attacks are actually by people that you know. Statistically, majority of the perpetrators in whether it's intimate partner violence or sexual assault is someone they're know, they're dating, a friend or a mutual friend. It's usually someone they know. In a lot of the stories or cases that I've seen, it's been someone that they've trusted, whether it's a close friend, sometimes a family friend, sometimes a family member. Going back to what you said on almost like how we're raised to fear like this certain kind of monster when it comes to sexual assault. I remember just like growing up and being told not to wear my clothes too tight or not to wear my skirt too short or don't reveal too much skin, even from childhood all throughout schools and dress codes and not being able to wear spaghetti strap tank tops because they were more focused on basically victim blaming. Instead of focusing on teaching, I'm going to use men in particular, instead of teaching other men not to rape, they were more focused on teaching women. I don't even know how to get the words out. They're more training us to be, I can't even say submissive, just instead of allowing us to do as we feel and as we please and giving us that right in that space, they're more focusing on keeping us in like this box instead of making sure that men or rapists aren't raping people. Their attention is on, I assume, what they thought would keep women from being safe, but it's not working. And I think that's how a lot of these kind of organizations came about, because the way we were taught and the way it was being done was not working and is not working. So I know recently, like last year, Governor Murphy extended the policies on statutes of limitations on sexual assault here in New Jersey. So prior to him making the change, if you were sexually assaulted as a child, you only had up until the age of 20 to report it. Now you have up to the age of 55 and there's no statute of limitations on rape and sexual assault at all. Mm, that's a very good move. Yeah, it's huge because not only is there a disconnect between victims reporting then previously we're only given this very short amount of time to report. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people discover that they were sexually assaulted. It's not always because when you're sexually assaulted as a child, you repress those kind of memories or you don't know what's going on and you discover it later. That doesn't mean you can't report it. It doesn't mean you still can't seek justice. You were talking about the extended time frame for victims to report. And I think that definitely is so important, especially for those who are victims while they're children. But even as adults, 
I think because of this whole dynamic we have around gender roles and how sex comes into play and whether or not it's consensual or not based on understanding that males and females have misconceptions about what is consensual sex. And very often I'm hearing in the news these stories of men who believe they're absolutely innocent of anything. And while the woman is convinced she's been raped. So can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that ties into this whole statute of limitations issue. That's a little more difficult only because my experience has been more so with the actual victims than given the opportunity to speak with perpetrators. But what I know from being a college student, a lot of the guys don't see a problem with how they conduct themselves in certain instances. The idea of victim blaming, the miseducation, that men don't think that if a woman is drunk and she has sex, that's not considered consensual because she was under the influence and her consciousness and her decision-making was compromised because she was under the influence. That's not considered consent. Or whether it's drinking or smoking, it doesn't matter. But that rape culture, especially on a college campus, because it's perpetuated so many generations and they almost think it's a myth. That's the word. A lot of college males that I've come across that I've had conversations with think that consent is a myth, that they know the woman better than the woman knows herself. Okay. So when and what, and expand on that. What does that mean? So when a girl's telling him no, instead of him respecting her no, it's, oh, she's playing hard to get. Okay. Oh, she does want it. She's just acting like she doesn't. Yeah. And like almost forcing themselves or even to the point of pressuring their partner to have sex with them. That's still not consent. Consent mm-hmm. is very clear cut. It's yes. Yes, I will. Yes, I want to. If a woman says anything else other than yes, then it's not consent. Maybe no, no is a no. There's they try a lot of times, and I don't want to generalize all of them, but a lot of them think that they know the woman better or that they have the power or the right to tell the woman what is best for her. Mm-hmm. And that's beyond just sexual assault. That's that toxic masculinity in general where men think that they have this authority or this superiority to tell a woman what it is she should do with her body, what it is she should do in life, how she should live, how she should dress. Sexual assault didn't come out of nowhere and it hasn't continued for so long. Ironically, it's not a coincidence. And it all plays a part from the pay gap, the glass ceiling, even women not even being able to get education at one point. Sorry, this kind of goes off a little bit, but when we speak about sexual assault and domestic violence in general, everyone can be affected. But when it comes to Black women, everything is much more pronounced. Okay. The risk factors, the barriers, why they don't report, the statistics of how many women are assaulted but aren't given the services or the help that they need. It's much more pronounced in Black women in the Black community than it is in Malaysia, why would you say that? Why do you think it is that the statistics 
are disproportionately higher for Black women reporting versus other races of women? So for one, there is a disconnect between, in general, the Black community and police and that authority. There is a huge disconnect and there is a mistrust that leads to Black women almost having to choose their race over their gender as if I'm more Black than I am woman or I'm more woman than I am Black and not equally being the same in both. So the intersectionality of being both of color and being a female in a predominantly white male dominated world, especially a white male dominated police force that patrol a lot of our communities. If I see how you're treating my fellow black man or black brother. Now, when I am a victim and my perpetrator is a black male, I have to pick, well, am I going to put him in harm's way by calling the police because that's my relationship with police? Or am I going to keep allowing myself to be harmed because he is black and I'm black? So it's like we have to choose either our color or our gender. And then when it comes to doctors and the medical field, we're not believed. The mortality rate in Black women is so high for a country that's supposed to be one of the richest in the world. We have the mortality rate at the same as third world countries who don't have the same technology and supplies, but yet we're dying just as often. Just recently, a big YouTuber was ignored during her labor and delivery and her and her baby, I believe, died because she wasn't listened to. And it's the same story that is over and over again, you hear the same thing over and over again. And then people wonder why we're not reporting. Well, why would I relive or re-traumatize myself by telling you my story and then you tell me that my story isn't true? So until we're listened to, until we're believed, until we have like a true support system within every sector that's supposed to serve and protect, there will always be that disconnect. Women will still not be reporting to those sectors, which is why organizations like Harambe is a thing because we had to provide help for ourselves. And a lot of the times, and just the history of Black people in general, we've always had to, if they won't do it for us, we did it for ourselves. That is so powerful when you made the comment about, am I more a woman than I am Black or am I more Black than I am a woman? That is so, so, so powerful that we as Black women must make that distinction on a daily basis. And that is different from our men. Um, They certainly have their own ethical dilemmas that they travel this earth with. But we as women, as Black women, that is certainly a powerful issue that we're faced with. I think you just put it so well. And I'm really blown away how you expressed that. But it's clearly true. So the issue around patriarchy and what that means within a community that's male-dominated and how sexism plays a role in that. But then what does that boil down to in the end of the day? It just boils down to, for Black women, sexual assault around and how am I going to choose? Am I going to be able to choose me when I am a victim? And will I be believed? And that's ultimately the whole issue around sexual assault is, will I be believed? Right. Very, very powerful. 
as we're winding down, there's something else that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with us tonight. Oh, just a couple of facts, mostly for the audience. If you are someone you know has been sexually assaulted, it was previously called the rape kit. It's called the safe kit now, but you have five days to get a safe kit done at almost any hospital. Getting a safe kit done does not mean that you are pressing charges or you are not pressing charges against your perpetrator. It's solely for you to have that option if you do or do not want to in the future. I believe safe kits last up to, I think, five to 10 years. I don't have the exact date, but it lasts years. You have five days to get it done. So if it does happen and you do plan on getting a safe kit, not to shower, you don't want to wash away any evidence. But if you did shower, if you still have the clothes or the underwear that you wore that night to put it in a Ziploc bag and take it with you, if you are in a domestic violence situation, and you don't know where to go or how to get out. Some tips are to pack a bag, even if it just has two to three nights worth of clothing, copies of your birth certificate, copies of your license, any kind of medical information and immunization for your children. If you can get a prepaid or track phone that's untraceable for your abuser, a prepaid credit card, just to throw in a bag and leave whether in the trunk of your car or at a friend's house, or I know a lot of employers, even if you just tell them what's going on, they'll allow you to leave the bag at work so that when you are ready to leave, you have something to take with you. Working in the shelter, a lot of the women, because it was a crisis situation, they only had what was on their backs. And just having that extra change of clothes, not having to worry about, well, what am I going to wear, just eases the pressure a lot more. That's wonderful information. And again, especially with both of those, the safe kit for sexual assault victims, that they know that I can't imagine what people are going through when something like that occurs in their lives. But to know that you don't have to make a decision about prosecution tonight, just right. have to make a decision about having the evidence available should you choose to prosecute in the future. Yeah. And that can possibly ease a person's mind because it's just overwhelming the amount of trauma and just thoughts that are running through their head at that time. And then for a domestic violence victim who most likely is going through that trauma on an ongoing basis, a more of a long-term basis, but to give themselves a chance to get away from the situation with some tools to start over. And those documents will be so important. Having that untraceable phone is so important because If you don't know, you definitely can be traced through your phone. People can track you through your phone, whether you are aware of it or not. And having those documents, I've heard of cases where extreme, where the partner knows where those documents are and they can't really take them away, but they can make copies of the document and put the original back so that it's undetected until they're ready to use that. So having those safeguards in place, because just so many other circumstances that impact people. So I appreciate your sharing that information with us tonight. And 
We just want to thank you, Malaysia. You've been a wealth of information for us tonight, and you have such a warm and welcoming spirit. We are so happy I've had you on this this tonight, and we hopefully that you can come back again for another chat with us. That would be great. So thank you again for coming in. Good night. Thanks for joining We Hear You podcast with our host, Rose Williams from Harambe Social Services, a grassroots organization in South Jersey. Harambe is Swahili for pulling together in unity. We use the principles of the Nguza Saba in all of our services to educate communities about domestic violence and sexual assault. Our primary focus is to provide counseling services to victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. If you or someone you know needs to talk to us, please call 609-225-6936. Again, that number is 609-225-6936. Our counseling services are free of charge. Be sure to follow Harambe Social Services on Instagram and Facebook. We would love to hear your feedback about tonight's focus. Tell a family member and a friend about the show. You can help us get the word out and go to buzzsprout.com to make a review. Thank you, be safe, be well.